Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 289 being recorded on Friday, March 18th, 2022. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, as you know, we did a Amazon fulfillment deep dive a couple of weeks ago, and that was quite a popular topic and episode. Um, and we've been getting a lot of questions from listeners about what's going on in the world of fulfillment. And we are now living in a world where products, you know, used to be, if you get it in a week, that was amazing. And now uh, anything that's longer than two days feels like a lifetime. So we thought it would be good to bring on one of the top startups uh, in the fulfillment area, uh, the ShipBob. And we have with us the CEO and co-founder of ShipBob, Drew Saxena. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Scott and Jason, for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. We are looking forward to it as well. Uh, I'm getting tons of complaints on the feed already that people were expecting Bob to be on the show today. Um, so you'll have to tell us how it became Drew started Ship Bob. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Scott, I'll give you a quick um, backstory on me if that's the opening question uh, and tell you how did the, we come up with the name Ship Bob. That would be perfect. Yes, I ask it very awkwardly. Uh, Scott is laughing at me on the on the back channel. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Quick backstory on us, um, you know, I grew up in Delhi, India, came to the U.S. Um, in 2007 to pursue engineering. My co-founder, Anshabab Deve, is also from India. We've known each other all our lives. Um, and so we, after we both did our engineering in the Midwest here, I went to Purdue. We came back to Chicago and started uh, working, you know, at our full-time jobs as software programmers. And on nights and weekends, as most engineers do, uh, we were trying and experimenting with a bunch of startup ideas. And one of the startup ideas was in e-commerce. And being engineers, we were able to automate effectively everything in that e-commerce business, except the part around shipping and logistics. And so every time we would have a bunch of orders, we would have to run to the post office here in Willis Tower, Chicago, in the basement. Uh, they have a post office and we would have to stand in line and basically ship out those orders out. And that became the most manual and painful part of our e-commerce business. And we wanted to find ways of automating that. And we would call up a bunch of these existing companies, 3PLs who help companies with the shipping and logistics. They call them 3PLs third-party logistic providers. And none of them wanted our business because we were too small for them. And so that got us thinking as to, hey, how do other small to mid-sized e-commerce businesses figure out their shipping and logistics? We realize that there really isn't a good alternative for businesses like ours who are, you know, ramping up e-commerce businesses. And that got us into uh, thinking what ShipBob can be. And uh, how did the name come about? You know, so when we started thinking about building a company for helping businesses with their shipping and logistics needs, we were going for like, uh, like people want fast shipping. So we should have ship and a fast, you know, like an animal name or something like a ship hawk or a ship cheetah or something on those lines so that it conveys that, hey, we are a company which helps you with fast shipping. And all of these brand uh, domain names were taken. So after a while, uh, GoDaddy's recommendation engine, you know, started recommending, you know, other alternative uh, domain names. And one of them was ShipBob for $2.99 or something. 
And so we said, you know, we don't have money, but this seems like a cool name. And so we registered uh, shipbob.com for $2.99. And that's the story of our name. And so now we have a you know good messaging around, hey, Bob means bending over backwards for your shipping. Or Bob can be a plumber. Bob can be, you know, any useful guy. Bob can also be a shipper. So that's like the marketing angle on ShipBob. Very cool. So um, it's interesting because this kind of parallels a lot of, a lot of companies in e-commerce they start with people building e-commerce stores and then they're like, this part of it stinks. I'm just going to focus on solving this. So what, what did your original e-commerce store do? So we start, were doing a lot of uh, like printed photographs. And so, uh, you know, this is like 2013, 2012, where Instagram had just been acquired by Facebook for like a billion dollars. And so we thought, oh, wow, that photo sharing seems to be like a hot market right now. And Instagram is all about digital photo sharing. So what if we brought back the retro way of sharing pictures, which is people would print and mail pictures to each other. So our e-commerce business was that you would send us a photo on a text bot. We would print that photo. We would frame it. We would write a message at the back of the photo, any personal message you wanted, and mail it to your friends and family all across the world. And so that was sort of you know our big idea then, like physical photo sharing. Cool. Kind of like Framebridge, I think, does some of that now. Um, yes. Cool. Yep. Yeah, so then you, 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 uh, did you wind that down as you kind of pivoted over to the fulfillment side? Yeah, it wound down on its own, to be honest, because once yeah. we started focusing on, on ShipBob, we, <laughs> that, that business wasn't really taking off, but ShipBob was, was, was. So we started spending a lot more energy on ShipBob. Cool. And then, so that was 2015 or kind of also 2014? Yeah. Yeah, Now, 2014, 2015, we got into this incubator called Y Combinator, Scott. So Mm -hmm. that allowed us to, you know, quit our full-time jobs because Y Combinator gives you like $120,000. So that was enough money for us to like put in, uh, you know, our notices on a full-time jobs and go all in on ShipBomb. Very cool. So you got into Y Combinator and then that usually requires you to go out to Silicon Valley for a period of time. Did you guys do that or, or um, they, at some point they introduced remote, but I think that was later. Much later. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a good question. So um, this is another great um, sort of a piece around, you know, building startups in Chicago. So when we got into YC, we were one of the very few companies, um, you know, who did not relocate to California. So it was it wasn't mandated. Our partners there were very comfortable, very okay with us traveling back and forth. So every week on Tuesday they have these partner meetings where you go and tell them the progress you've made. And so we would fly every Tuesday morning to a Mountain View, California, do our pitch, uh, and you know, and learn, and then come back. And because we had to fly, and it was you know a red eye flight, etc. It was a lot of effort. So we would always try to make sure that we have enough progress that we've made in a given week to make that trip worthwhile. Otherwise, we would go there and we will, you know, just come out looking like we didn't really do much and that would be a waste <laughs> of our time. So that pressure of making that trip very productive, I think in the early days, forced us to work way harder than maybe a lot of other companies simply because, you know, we were putting in a lot of effort and resource and capital in making those trips. And but we yeah. headquartered the business in Chicago. Uh, you know, which turned out to be, you know, pretty good decision, I guess, in hindsight. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it, what's really interesting, and I, I kind of live this every day. So I'm curious how you 
the path you took here um as as software people um you know we love to solve things with software and at some point shipping is not a software problem right you can you can build the world's best shipping but at some point some human has to and maybe a robot but you know some some something has to move a package from point a to point b sometimes point c d and e and then someone has to you know you have this middle mile and this last mile when did you guys realize that you were going to have to actually have like fulfillment um, right from that, the right from the start? Onset, yeah, pretty yeah. much because you know, um, coming out of the running our own e-commerce business, and then also a couple of other startups before then, like we being engineers, yes, we were very accustomed to writing a lot of code and then just hoping that users will show up. And none of the startups before Shipbob for us worked out. And one of the realizations that both me and Deve had is that just because you build it doesn't mean that people will come. And so you would have to spend a lot of your time and energy in making sure that you actually spend you know, time on sales, marketing, and distribution. And so when so we were very early before even writing code, we were talking to our customers. And these customers uh, you know, who would eventually become uh, users or loyal users told us very clearly that we don't really care about great software. What we care about is a great product or a great service, which helps us in packaging and shipping. So that influenced our decision-making, right? We can't be a pure software company. These merchants are paying us because they need great fulfillment service. So having our own fulfillment center is probably a requirement for us before we can start scaling. Got it. Okay, cool. So you you go do Y Combinator, and then um, when did you like uh, build your first, like when did you have your first fulfillment center? So right at the, you know, when we started the company, like our office and my apartment became sort of our temporary <laughs> fulfillment, yeah. fulfillment center. You know, we are using the term fulfillment center very loosely here. So you won't really be able to uh, call an apartment a proper uh, fulfillment center, <laughs> but, you know, it did the it did the work. So there was enough room in our apartment and in our first office, which is like, I think, thousand square feet for us to have some room for people to send us their product and we would store their inventory. And then have a couple of us basically pick back and ship, um, you know, those boxes out. So my apartment was on the 31st floor. So every evening we would get a big trolley and uh, put all the packages in that trolley and then uh, use the freight elevator to bring those packages to the ground level where my colleague Jeff would, you know, use the car and we'll take it to the post office. If you were in Jason's yeah. building, he would have reported you as like a probably a drug dealer or some some suspicious behavior going on up on the thirty first floor. Uh, I'm just yeah. grateful the no, city planners that do the zoning didn't hear this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's not illegal if you don't get caught. You know, we did uh, get in trouble in the early days with the local post office, uh, so. What would happen is, again, you know, because we had been, we didn't have a lot of successful startups before Shibob, we were like very paranoid about finding customers. And we, none of us came from a sales and marketing background. So we tried to answer this question, where can we find customers in the most cheapest and fastest way possible? And the obvious answer to us was, let's go outside the post office because there's always a line. People don't always seem very happy or to go to a post office. Uh, and so if we can find a few e-commerce merchants in those lines, we can pitch them their our idea while they are still in the line and convince them to give us their package and not go to the post office the second time around. 
And so we spent the first three during YC at least, like the first three to six months of our ship are basically standing in lines outside different post offices in Chicago to convince people walking in that Shibob is a better alternative than you going inside the post office. So the post office uh, folks, very nice people, thought that we were trying to take business away from them. And so they would send, they would call up these post office, apparently post office has its own police or something. So they would send out these post office cops who would come and shoo us away. And so we would just go from one post office to the other, uh, like based on, you know, which one had last called the cops on us. And so I think some post office might still have a picture of Jifko and Devay. Uh, to make sure that they don't show up again. <laughs> I love so these I startup those, stories. Those cops are federal agents, by the way. They're, they're not messing around. <laughs> oh, man. I, I hope they didn't take uh, us very seriously because uh, we were immigrant founders, so we can't get in trouble with the with the federal police. Yeah. The uh, federal jails that I hear are pretty nice, though. So good. Yeah. They have tennis and stuff. Uh, what, we're going to have a separate anyway. episode about how Scott knows that. okay cool so you you did your yc then you came back to chicago and then maybe kind of update us like the the bullet points to to where we are today yeah um so once we you know got back to chicago post yc we we were fortunate enough to raise a seed round of a million dollars and so that allowed us to you know, take that capital and hire a couple more engineers uh, and hire a few more salespeople and then expand the business. So we opened up a warehouse in Chicago uh, where we were headquartered and then we quickly expanded to uh, New York as well. So we added a location in Brooklyn, New York. And and based on the progress that we had made, you know, in Chicago and New York, and remember like fulfillment, it's a, it requires capital because you're opening up these fulfillment centers at the very beginning. And you're also writing a lot of software, which powers the inside operations of the fulfillment centers. So we had to raise capital simply by the nature of the business we are in. Also fulfillment, um, I'm sure like all your listeners know, it's not like a software business. It's not an 80% gross margins business. We have very tight margins. And so you are, you, you require a lot of capital in this business to scale. And so every couple of years, we've had to raise capital simply for us to add investment dollars into building either the software, which powers our fulfillment centers or to open up our own fulfillment centers. And so the quick summary of Bobby's today is that over the last five years or so, we've raised, you know, close to $400 um, million or so of uh, venture capital. Uh, we've added, you know, we have close to a thousand employees now, a lot of it on the product and engineering uh, teams and sales and marketing team uh, for us to add, um, you know, merchants to our network, but also write a lot of great software, which powers the backend of almost, uh, you know, backend uh, systems of all of the e-commerce businesses using our platform. And the business strategically also has, you know, evolved where we don't now need to operate our own fulfillment centers because we have four of our own fulfillment centers, each one one in Chicago, New York, uh, Texas, and California. So we kind of know how to run fulfillment centers. We now partner with existing 3PLs or fulfillment centers who have empty capacity. We bring in our software, our know-how, our physical infrastructure into those locations. We bring them up to the ShipBob standard, and then we are able to route our merchants into those locations. And so the business now requires a lot less capital in scaling the infrastructure side of things. But now all of that capital goes towards, you know, basically growing out the product capabilities and, and adding new merchants into our network. 
and and cool. we have fulfillment centers in the US, in Canada, in UK, Europe, in Australia. And and we've of course added a lot of capabilities on our network, on our platform as well. So truly today now, Shibob is a global omni-channel fulfillment solution for our merchants where we can we are probably you know on par if you are starting an e-commerce business and you wanted to compete very effectively with Amazon or Walmart supply chain, we are a great alternative. Very cool. The way I uh, explain it, let let me uh, see if this pencils for you. So if, if someone asks me how this, you know, how you know this kind of what I would call you're you're one of these next generation fulfillment companies, my pitch is you had these three PLs, but they were really designed for you know, kind of almost like a real estate thing where you'd go in and say, Hey, I want a corner of this fulfillment center and I'm going to lease it and and do X, Y, and Z. And then Amazon's innovation was FBA where it was, you know, much more aligned with the, the e-commerce model of, uh, yes, I want you to hold my goods, but they're going to turn over quickly. And I want to pay more of a per transaction kind of a thing. Um, and I also want a lot of flexibility about how fast I can get products to consumers. So, so three PLs were in this kind of old world where they weren't really built that way. So then part of what you guys did is you built your own fulfillment centers with this new model. And then you can kind of take that model and put it into old three PLs, bringing them up to kind of like the FBA level of, of, of standard. Uh, is that a fair summary of, of how you explain ship Bob to other folks? Yes. Uh, that is very well articulated, Scott. I might actually use that going forward. Uh, and and the only piece I would add to it is, uh, of course, you hit on the fast piece of it, which is very relevant for our merchants. The second big element of why merchants choose us and our network is our ability to customize the unboxing experience, which is unique for that particular brand. So, you know, when you order something on Amazon, it shows up in an Amazon branded box. For our merchants, they want that unboxing experience uh, to represent their brands, you know, ethos and the brand value. So whether that's a custom box, uh, you know, whether it could be eco-friendly material, it could be custom gift notes, a custom shipping labels, etc. Their ability to customize um, that, you know, that uh, transaction is very relevant for them. It's almost on par alongside speed. And, and so that's the piece, second element of, of uh, customization, I guess, that shibob has been able to unlock that I think FBA doesn't offer. Got it. And just to sort of clarify for listeners, like, so the, the goal then is it feels like it got shipped by the vendor, right? So it, it has whatever packaging the, the, the manufacturer would want to use and a bill of lading that has their logo and those things on it, as opposed to I ordered something from cuts and then I got an invoice from ShipBob or something like that. Yep. Exactly. Right. We want to be in the background. And, uh, you know, where the shopper is building a direct relationship with the brand and, and the shopper is agnostic to whether Shibob ships it or whether the brand shipped it themselves. Yep. So, uh, and, and just to kind of frame this, like back in that time frame, the, the idea of B2C 3PLs was not common. Today, it's a, it's a pretty crowded market space. There's a lot of, a, a lot of options. But there, back then, as, as Scott kind of pointed out, like there was a thing called three PLs, but they were more of like a a B two B service, really, right? That's right. Yep. And so the reason why even uh, we were able to even build a business here is because majority of the three PLs out there were focused on the pallet in, pallet out sort of a transaction because most of the customers were brands who were selling predominantly in retail stores like Macy's, Nordstrom. Uh, Target, uh, etc. 
And so the concept of this high velocity, uh, two to three units per order was very foreign to them. And, and all of the infrastructure was designed to store large number of pallets uh, versus having inventory in eaches or in single units stored in bins and shelves. And so for, from that perspective, the reason, you know, if you are doing pallets and pallet out, like getting into e-commerce and then getting working with small and mid-sized e-commerce businesses where you don't make a lot of money per customer just in pencil for these B, for these B2B 3PLs because they were used to having a small number of very, very large customers and then designing their entire operations inside their buildings only for that few number of merchants because they would be able to make a, you know, the, the entire earnings was from that limited set of merchants versus at ShipBob, um, you know, we, we have a whole large number of merchants. None of our merchants, you know, are these uh, all birds or these, um, you know, massive brands, uh, but these are growing emerging brands. And we have productized what is very much like been a very service oriented business. Yeah. And so the, the profile of the typical ShipBob customer is a, a, a startup that's intending to sell direct to consumer uh, mostly through their own website. Is that a fair characterization? That's how we got started this. And so, um, you know, uh, today uh, that is definitely evolved as our capabilities sure. have grown as well. So I would say like if we have to break down uh, the merchants that we service, so uh, on one end of the spectrum, we have these merchants, you know, they could be entrepreneurs who are just getting started and they're doing anywhere from, you know, less than $100,000 of annual revenue on their website all the way up to maybe a million dollars or so. Um, so that's one end. Then we have merchants who are from one to $15 million of GMV and they are predominantly selling on their own website, but they're also selling on marketplaces like uh, Amazon, eBay, Walmart. And then we have a uh, mid market segment of merchants. These are relatively established brands. They are doing anywhere from 10 to $150 million of GMV across all the different channels that they're selling on. And for them, you know, they are in e-commerce, which is direct to consumer. They're also in marketplaces, but they're also in retail. And so they and, and they also are targeting to be global. And so for them, uh, they use Shiba because under one umbrella, they, they get not only great technology, but the fulfillment uh, solution is able to cater across all the different channels that they're selling on. And it allows them to manage inventory under one roof. So it's the. I guess the value proposition over the last six years for ShipBob has definitely evolved as the capabilities have grown. Have grown makes total sense. And I'm assuming so. Uh, in in my day job, one of the the new categories of business that I see like getting into direct fulfillment more are traditional products that used to exclusively sell through wholesale. And in some cases, these could be quite large companies that are used to sending pallets to Target and Walmart. And now they're starting to sell some of their own goods from their own website. And just like those. Those startups from 2014, they, they've got to figure out how to do the each's fulfillment. And I, I think they, they turn to folks like you as well now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, that's the exciting piece of, of direct to consumer is that, um, the, the technology and the infrastructure needed for you to start your own e-commerce business and be able to reach your consumers is, has massively evolved. So these traditional um, you know, brands who were predominant retail, now they're able to participate in e-commerce in a pretty meaningful way as well. And they have access to great infrastructure. And I think, um, you know, the they've also realized that the infrastructure that they needed for their retail shipping doesn't look anywhere 
close to what they need for the direct-to-consumer. So on the direct-to-consumer side, maybe you choose Shopify for your front-end platform. Uh, you choose to do a lot of your advertising and marketing on through Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, social media is the predominant digital marketing channel effectively. And, and then you choose a uh, ship bar for your fulfillment and, and running your supply chain. And maybe you use a firm or, or, you know, or Klarna for your buy now, pay later, like those credit financing options. And so this technology stack that you need to run your direct to consumer e-commerce business, um, you know, n- now exists and is completely different from what you might have used for running a full wholesale retail operation. Yep. And it, I do want to just uh, double click on one other thing uh, before we we turn to to marketplaces and the, the frenemy situation there. But um, the so a couple of your advantages, like you developed this software to make the fulfillment center much more efficient than traditional ones were. And obviously efficiency is a, a huge differentiator in, in uh, uh, the fulfillment uh, you you enable all this customization and personalization, um, which is a, a better match for the branding that all, all of these clients want to do. One of the other things that I, I think of is uh, of 3PLs from that era that was sort of problematic and that kind of Amazon disrupted is like they used to make you manage your own inventory. So if they had two fulfillment centers you as the merchant had to decide how much goods you were sending to the West Coast and how much goods you were sending to the East Coast. And and uh, you sort of had to do all those things. And uh, Amazon, through their fulfillment by Amazon, kind of um, uh, took that 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 uh, inventory management burden away from some of their their uh, merchants and sort of did all that for them and did the load balancing and all those sorts of things. Uh, so do you do that? Like you now, uh, it sounds like you've got four of your own fulfillment centers and a bunch of virtual fulfillment centers. Do you do all of that sort of AI based, uh, uh, inventory allocation for, for your customers as well? Yep, absolutely. So, um, and that's uh, sort of, I guess we can break that inventory allocation into two parts. Um, so one is choosing where in the network to send your products from your manufacturer. And so that's uh, based on, you know, we provide all of that information upfront to our merchant base, uh, where, you know, based on historical uh, purchase data that we capture from all the different sales channels that you connect into Shiba, we can we have a model that tells you uh, fairly well as to how much inventory to store in which parts of the network. And so that's and so you can but we don't necessarily mandate that because for these brands, you know, they want, we want them to have the ability to make those decisions for themselves. So we provide them with all of the information. And if they choose to, they can have Shibob distribute that inventory for themselves, for, for them, or they can do it directly from the manufacturer uh, by following our data, uh, you know, in, that we give out to them. So that's on the first half of like sending right, the right amount of inventory to the right location. So that's a little bit of a optionality for these brands. And then the second part of it where we do do a lot of the work ourselves is once we start getting these orders into our platform, once you buy something from our uh, from our brands, choosing which fulfillment center that particular order gets routed to and what shipping carrier is used for that particular transaction, that is something that we that we definitely do um, you know, uh, uh, in-house. And so that is a pretty important element of it because um, as a brand, you might off- be offering two-day shipping on your checkout page. But um, you actually don't want, um, you know, to be using UPS two-day or FedEx overnight to do that two-day transaction because that will be very, very expensive. And so Shiba, because we've captured a lot of our 
carriers uh, performance data over time, we have a pretty built out model which tells us, hey, if we even if we use this local regional carrier for this particular order, we have a very high likelihood it will get delivered in two days or less. And we don't have to pay for a UPS guaranteed two day service. Um, and so we are able to bring down the cost of two days significantly down at this almost the same price point as a USPS ground shipping, uh, which is a which is the cheapest form of shipping simply by placing inventory um, in better, you know, um, um, better placement of inventory and the fulfillment centers, but also choosing where which fulfillment center ships that particular order and what shipping carrier we use for the transaction. So that was a little long answer, but I think that is sort of the secret element of why brands of any size are able to offer a two day next day sort of a shipping experience on the checkout page. Yeah, I, th- I think that's um, helpful. I- when I've talked to some people about this kind of stuff, they're always like, well, how hard could this be? Like, um, and this comes up in the context of Shopify. So a lot of Shopify, Wall Street folks, um, uh, you know, they'll say, well, why is this so hard? And, you know, one of my favorite things about e-commerce is going to tour warehouses because once you get inside a warehouse, you realize that it's pretty complicated. And the way I, the way I explain it is once you've committed to a, um, you know, an, an asset like a warehouse and all the people and, and everything, then it becomes an optimization problem. And optimizing warehouses is pretty complicated, right? So let's let's take you guys have X number of customers in a fulfillment center. Let's just keep it one of the ones you own and operate to make it even simpler. Um, and you know, there's a there's a bazillion questions like how do you if you take customer one through a hundred, do you intermix their things? How do you do the packaging you talked about? How do you um, you know, how tall are the shelves? Do you use conveyor belts? Do you do two floors or one floor in your fulfillment center? Um, uh, so, so what's fun about that as an engineer, there's a lot of fun problems to solve there. And, and it's a lot, you know, you, your explanation of the shipping is interesting because that's like yet another one. So a lot of people feel like this is too easy, is really easy. And then they kind of run up against the, 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 the hardness of it. And, and they, they kind of have to step back and redo it. Um, do you have a point of view of of you know what Shopify kind of did? It seemed like they tried to do a software only kind of a solution, and it, it kind of didn't work. And now they're trying to get more involved in it. And do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, but, but you framed it really well, um, Scott. Which is once you um, you know once you go inside a fulfillment center, the number of problems uh, that that you can potentially solve are almost endless. And the reason it's important to attack these optimization problems. Is fundamentally, you know, fulfillment is not a software only problem and it doesn't come with 80% gross margins. And so it's in your best interest to optimize once you get to a certain scale, because every cent and dollar you shave from those operating costs is a dollar that flows to your bottom line. Alternatively, is a dollar that you can then reduce, you know, your uh, cost to your brand, which then allows them to reduce their fulfillment costs. And that way allows them to offer free shipping, which then drives, you know, more sales on the website, which then drives, um, you know, more orders into your platform, which allows you to get to scale faster. And so optimization is, you know, is key for you to be operating at the lowest cost possible because there are advantages of doing so. And, and so there are a lot of different ways to get to optim, to try to optimize. But if you don't own and operate your fulfillment centers, at least at the onset, you simply don't know what problems to solve. And so at ShipBob, 
you know, what I believe um, worked really well in our favor is because we operated our own fulfillment centers, we saw firsthand what are the consequences of the choices that we are making. And, and that involves, you know, the physical infrastructure. Do we mix products uh, of different merchants in the same aisle? Uh, where in the where in the fulfillment centers do we place the fast moving SKUs? Do we take the low slowest moving SKUs and put them at the back of the fulfillment centers, away from the rest of the merchants' inventory, or do we place them high up in the in the racking system? How do we think about labor planning? Is Mondays 20% higher than Friday. So do we need to staff up in the morning shift, et cetera? Like there are, and, or, and material handling and, and idle walking is such a big uh, cost of the fulfillment center's uh, operations. How do we try to minimize that and at what scale? There are hundreds of these optimization decisions that we've had to make over the last seven years, which then have been productized in our software, in our warehouse management system, which then now is being deployed across these partner sites. And so I think if we were to you know, jump ahead and just do our partner sites that we don't own and op- we don't own or uh, operate on a day-to-day basis, we would have missed out on all of these optimization decisions that we've made over the last seven years, which then allows us to operate at a much lower operating cost than any of the competition. So I think Shopify, I don't know, um, you know, the product strategy there, um, but I think they might have tried to short circuit their way into running virtual fulfillment centers too early without having learned the lessons of, or without having experienced the lessons of running your own building, which I think they might be course correcting now. Yeah. It gives you the ability to go to a 3PL and say, Hey, here's your, your, you know, Three PLs are kind of V one, and you guys are like V ten. So you can go in there and say, "Take this section, do it this way." Here's how you know. Here's the barcode reader you need to use. Here's there's like all this stuff that has to come together seamlessly with the software to kind of execute. And, and you guys have figured all that out, and you can just kind of plop it right into the three PL. I imagine. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Our pitch um, to these existing three PLs is that you have this unused capacity. Uh, this is like a warehouse in a box that we are providing you. And, and if you follow, you know, the product or the our operating protocol, then you will be able to make X dollars um, an order or Y dollars a square foot, which is higher than what you're achieving now. And by the way, you don't have to spend any money on sales and marketing and servicing because Shiba, you know, these are Shiba merchants. And so you should be able to make, um, you know, you should be able to generate a return on that on that space in a relatively short amount of time, which makes it a pretty interesting proposition for these existing 3PLs who want to participate in e-commerce, but they necessarily don't have the infrastructure or the capital to do so as yet. Interesting. Cool. So give us an idea of your scale. So I saw on Crunchbase, it says you've raised over 300 million. So congrats on that. Um the uh, uh, I've been raising capital in this kind of more asset heavy world, and it, it's not not easy. So so kudos to you for for you know being able to fund this at the scale you have. Um, maybe like how many packages a day are you guys processing, or anything you can tell us around scale would be kind of interesting. Uh, for sure, I won't be able to get to the exact uh, or approximate packages, but here uh, here's a maybe a good proxy. Um, you know we have close to. 30 um, or so fulfillment centers in our network today. Uh, we are adding one fulfillment center a month. Um, uh, that's the relative scale. And majority of the reason why we are adding these fulfillment centers at a rapid clip 
is because we are, you know, reaching capacity in these fulfillment centers uh, fairly quickly. And the amount of space that we take inside a fulfillment center is anywhere from 30 to 40,000 square feet on the lower end, as much as 90 to 100,000 square feet um, on the higher end. So that's the sort of every site, every node in the network represents at least, you know, maybe call it average 50,000 square feet. And we have close to 30 of them. Very cool. And then it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't uh, at least throw you an Amazon question. Um, so, so it's easy to kind of, you know, again, for someone to kind of look at this and say, Hey, you're competing with FBA. Uh, and I, I, I get that, you know, you know, Amazon's talked about doing, you know, a, you know, just non marketplace style, style fulfillment. Um, and then, but then, it, and then they've also talked about, yeah, you can use your own packaging and, and, but, you know, my understanding is they're not really doing that at scale. Do you, do you guys feel like you compete against them or do you see them? The other thing that also blows people's minds a lot of time is, um, you know, software and centers like you guys operate frequently will ship stuff um, using Amazon's API so that it can be prime eligible, which is also kind of a, so, so the, the three PL, the, the shipping partner can be um, merchant fulfilled prime, which thus means their products are prime eligible. So, so maybe talk a little bit about how you feel about Amazon. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and, and yes, um, you're right. So we do ship inventory sometimes into Amazon fulfillment centers as well for, for the FBA. And some of, um, some of our merchants do also, you know, use the, what do you call the uh, seller fulfilled uh, prime option. Yeah. Um, but uh, more on your question on the, do we compete with FBA? I think we are servicing a slightly uh, different segment of the market. And so if you talk to most of our brands, you know, they would, they won't really say that we trust Amazon with all of our data. And so for these brands that we service, passing that customer information or who their buyers are to Amazon seems like a big business risk because Amazon competes with them, you know, on the Amazon to the Amazon basics line or, you know, placing their product uh, slightly differently on the, on the listings page, et cetera. So they want to build a supply chain and a demand, you know, sort of a website, which allows them to control their own destiny without having to rely on, on Amazon, which could potentially be problematic for them down the road. And so in that context, they want to stay away from Amazon as much as possible. Of course, they also do sometimes have Amazon listings because Amazon is such a great aggregator of demand that maybe it has a lower cost of acquisition than having to do it yourself on your website. But you don't want to rely on Amazon for majority of your sales. And so, in you know, under that context, then we don't necessarily compete with Amazon FBA because for these brands using FBA is not even an option. Um, and so, and two, because then we are, they are under this ethos of like, if I have a slightly superior brand and my brand is represented through all aspects of my branding website supply chain, I can, I can be a better business. Then, you know, ShipBob's ability to provide this plethora of customization options is a real value sell because, and, and our ability to match, you know, this two day prime leg experience. I, I think is a real value add. And the third aspect of it, if I may add, is as mm -hmm. brands grow larger, being able to have inventory globally uh, is is something which I don't think is possible with FBA. 
And fourth is if you're also getting into retail, you know, doing being able to ship pallets of inventory to these retail uh, distribution centers, again, is not an option with FBA. So if a brand is thinking about their supply chain as a whole, I think Shiba FBA is probably not a solution. Yeah, so that really makes sense. I'm kind of curious how this is going to continue to evolve. I mean, it, it seems like there's some risk that some of these big retailers like or marketplaces like Amazon and Walmart might eventually start selling their fulfillment as as a third party service that could potentially compete in the 3PL area. And I, I, I think the the FedExes and UPSs of the world are leaning more into it as well. Is is the future going to be kind of all, all of these different services kind of colliding and meeting in the middle? Or, or how, how do you see the, the future of this industry playing out? Yeah, that's a hard question uh, to answer because, yes, um, you know, e-commerce is is growing so quickly that there are so many greenfield opportunities for different companies to to play a part in. So, but I think each one probably, you know, like the, this industry benefits from scale. And so, and, and of course, this is a hard business because you're dealing with physical products and physical inventory and physical assets. And so I don't know if the industry would sort of all of us uh, will start doing each other's work simply because it's by doing uh, our core businesses by itself pretty hard and, and getting to scale in our core business is very relevant. So I think UPS and FedEx might, I think might have dabbled in e-commerce fulfillment, but I think majority of the business still very much remains around transportation. And and same for Shibob, I think majority of our business is around fulfillment. We are looking at ways of adding value to our merchant base by taking parts of the transportation and seeing if we have enough density on certain routes uh, that that can be that can allow us to you know reduce the overall fulfillment cost for our merchants um, but again i think there's so much you know there's so much to be done in this space that if you um, lose focus you can lose the advantage that you have right now so um, you know i and and businesses are able to grow simply by focusing in the core uh, business area so for us at least you know it's mostly fulfillment and maybe pieces of transportation sprinkled in. Well, that seems like a toy reasonable perspective, and it, it certainly is going to be fun to watch. But I think that's going to be where we have to leave it today, because as per usual, we have used up all of our allotted time. Uh, as always, if this episode was helpful to you, we sure would appreciate that five-star review. Uh, but we really appreciate your time today and uh, sharing a little bit more about ShipBob with us. No, thank you so much, uh, Jason and Scott, for having me. This was a great conversation. Thanks, Drew. And if folks want to follow you online, do you pontificate or um, should they just follow the ShipBob socials? The ShipBob socials would be a great, uh, great ad. Cool. Well, I, 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 you know, I would advocate for you doing more. We'd love to read anything you write about the industry. It's been a good discussion and, uh, you know, at least Jason, I would read it. So we can guarantee that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Two readers. I got, I got it. (laughs) Boom. And Jason's mom, she always follows all of our stuff. So three. <laughs> there you go. God, I can convince my mom as well. So that's what we <laughs> The audience is growing by the minute. Uh, well, th- thanks very much, everyone. And until next time, happy conversing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 